James has been accused, and I think falsely, by many people throughout the centuries of teaching a doctrine of salvation by works. The great reformer Luther himself never thoroughly dealt with never thoroughly dealt thoroughly dealt with the book of James and his teachings and his writing for having been due certain things in order to certain things in order to be right with God. Be right with God. In order to be right with God and having seen the truth of God's grace and been saved freely by His grace, Luther reacted very strongly against anything that sounded like salvation by works. In fact, Luther called the epistle of James an epistle of straw and uh, didn't even think that it belonged in the Bible, which would demonstrate to us that anybody can be wrong sometimes. I do not believe that James teaches a doctrine of salvation by works any more than Jesus Christ taught it when he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now try that on for size. The one who loves the Lord Jesus is the one who does keep his commandments. What James is really saying is that when God saves someone, it really makes a difference in the way that they live. And as James shares with us things which are true as opposed to things which are false, we come this morning to see what he has to say about who are true believers. Who are true believers. James simply knows that the nature of a tree determines the fruit. When you come upon a fruit tree, you do not need to uh, shake all the fruit off, tear the tree up by its roots, take it to the laboratory, take it apart, examine the cellular structures and the various characteristics of the tree in order to come to a conclusion as to what kind of tree it is. Now, that's the way we approach a lot of problems in this so-called enlightened age of ours, but you don't really need to do that. All you really need to do is pick off a piece of fruit and examine it, and you have found out what kind of a tree you're dealing with. And that's what James says, totally in line with what the Lord Jesus said when he taught that we shall know ourselves by the fruit that we bear. And so in the matter of true believers, James makes some observations that we need to examine this morning. First of all, a true believer is a constrained believer. A true believer is a constrained believer. In verses 18 through 21, James affirms this relative to the sovereign action of God in relationship to his people. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brothers, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. 
Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. A true believer is a constrained believer, as Paul affirmed when he stated that the love of Christ constrains us. In these verses, James affirms that God did what he did according to plan. You know, sometimes I fear that we present the, the gospel as though God was a victim of circumstance, as though God glibly created this world and made it perfect and beautiful and he put a man and a woman here and he intended them to people the earth and he intended for everything to be perfect for all time and then when man sinned, it messed God's plan up. And so in reaction to the action of man, we sometimes present the idea that God in reaction to that had to come up with plan B. And that's where the cross came in and that's where the incarnation, God becoming flesh came in and the Lord Jesus dwelling among us, being one of us and bearing our sins in his body on the tree came in. But that is not true. Everything that has ever happened has happened by decree of Almighty God. Now that may stick right in your throat and that may be awfully hard to swallow, but I would remind you that divine truth does not depend on your ability to comprehend it. Everything that has ever happened happens by decree of Almighty God, either according to His perfect design or according to the decrees of His permissive will. He is no victim of circumstances. And James says that He, in the exercise of His will, brought us forth. God is not the victim. God is in control. And we know that whatever happens, whether God designed it or not, God most certainly permits it. And if He permits it, and if we are His people, then His promise that everything He permits will be used to His glory and to our blessing is a valid promise that operates in every situation of life. He says in the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. See how James repeatedly, over and again, in virtually every paragraph of this letter, dwells on the Word of God. Now, in this passage that we consider this morning, verses 18 through 27, there are three beautiful pictures that he uses relative to the Word. In verse 18, here he talks about the Word as the Word of truth that brings us forth. In other words, he presents the Word of God as a parent that nurtures and grows us and gives us birth. In verse 21, he talks about the implanted Word or the engrafted Word or a seed that grows within us and prepares us. And then down in verse 25, which we shall get to in a few moments in the message, but the illustration here is uh, that of the perfect law of liberty being like a mirror that when we look into it, it reflects 
what we are for us to see and to understand what we are. The mirror that helps us be clean and pure by an understanding of what we are with the grace of God on our lives. In verses 19 and 20, James is talking about God's Word. Now, this is good advice here. He says in verses 19 and 20, Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, that's good advice. You know, the book of Proverbs says that people will think that even a fool is a wise man if he will just be quiet and keep his mouth shut. And so this is good advice in general. But notice that in verse 18 and again in verse 21, James is talking about the Word of God, and this fits right in there with that. James is telling them, be swift to hear the Word of God. Be slow to speak contrary to the Word of God. Be slow to be angered by the Word of God. For... The anger of man does not produce or does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now, you know, it is a very brazen act to be mad at God. And when you are angered by the Word of God, whether it comes as you read or study or as you are taught in a Bible study or in the Sunday school or as you sit under the hearing of the preaching of the Word of God, When you are angered by the Word, you are angry at no one but God. Occasionally it still happens to me, but when I have not totally lost control of my senses, I realize that it is not the best of all possible courses to get mad at God. It takes a great deal, and I would not call it courage. I suppose I would call it stupidity to get mad at God. James says, let us be swift to hear the Word of God. What is the proper reaction when we are angered by the Word of God? Recognize that the convicting power of the Holy Spirit has laid His finger on our sins. Confess it, repent of it, and get over it. Be swift to hear it. Be slow to speak contrary to it. Be slow to be angered by it. He says then, as I mentioned before, that He brought us forth or begat us by His will, knowing the cost before He ever did a thing relative to the human race, knowing that it would cost Him His Son. God brought us forth by the word of truth. J. Wilbur Chapman is a name which some of you may recognize. You needn't nod because uh, that might date you because Dr. Chapman has been gone for a good long time, but he was a very famous and a very outstanding Methodist minister of another generation. And Chapman relates in one of his writings how at one point in his pastoral ministry, he was approached by a church member who wanted him to quit being so explicit in preaching about sin. And Chapman said to the individual, Well, Do you mean that you don't want me to call sin, sin? He said, well, you need to preach against sin, he said, but if you keep being so explicit, and if you keep calling it sin, it's going to make people want to do it. Well, now Chapman 
said to himself, I could have told the individual that that was a perfectly stupid statement. However, I didn't do that, but I did this. I said to the individual, if I were to take a bottle of strychnine and take the skull and crossbones off of it and put some kind of a gentler label on it, would I be able to change the nature of the poison? Now, beloved, sin is sin, and if you think that in our teaching and in our preaching and we explicitly teach that sin is sin and teach what God's alternatives to sin are, if you think that's going to lead people to sin, you are sadly mistaken. I've got news for you. The enemy of God, the devil, doesn't need our help to tempt people to sin, but they desperately need to know what God says about it. And they desperately need to know what God's alternatives to it are. Sin is sin, and changing the label will not change the poison. Sin is not a mistake. Sin is not uh, making the wrong choice. Sin is not just doing something that you ought not to do. Sin is rebellion against Almighty God. It is a declaration of war on the grace of God It is a stomping into the dirt beneath your feet of the blood of Jesus. And it grieves the great heart of God when we sin. And James must agree with that philosophy, for he says in verse 21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the implanted word which is able to, to save your souls. You see, those who have the Word implanted within themselves are dead to sin by virtue of the fact that they are alive unto God, as the Apostle Paul teaches in Romans chapter 6. And the dead do not feel the burden of sin. All of our rebellion against God, all of it is sin. The world would say that sin is what we do. The Lord Jesus would say that the thing cherished and accomplished in the heart is as destructive of the spiritual life as the thing accomplished in the flesh. The heart must be cleansed and changed in order for the believer who is a true believer to be a constrained believer believer. We must cleanse the heart, not just change the outer garment. And then in verses 22 through 25, a true believer is a constructive believer. A true believer is a constructive believer. You know, it does not take any talent to discover problems. It doesn't take any talent at all. If success in any field of endeavor depended on the ability of individuals to tear things down, then everybody would be successful because anybody can do that kind of thing. But a true believer is a constructive believer. James says this, beginning in verse 22, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves or delude themselves. For if anyone is a 
hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effective doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. You see, the world would place an emphasis on what we do and would put that emphasis above and make it more important than what we are. And the devil has got a Christian exactly where he wants the Christian to be if he can get the Christian to be consumed with zeal for what he does with no direct relationship to what he is. You must be what you ought to be before you can truly do anything of service to God. You see, the effectiveness of our service is not in what we do. It is in what we are. And now this may seem to be a little bit paradoxical. It may seem to be contradictory, but it is the truth that what you do is no good to God unless it is the product of what you are. What you do is not the least bit useful to God. It is no good to Him unless and until it is the product of what you are. We must be. We must come by the grace of God into a new state of being before what we do can be of genuine service to God. Now, I don't want to dwell on this too much because we'll all get so depressed we want to go home and hide. But I want you to consider with me, and if you want to talk about something that will knock the props out from under you if you feel a little bit proud, then you try this on and do it about once a month. What is it that you do for God that an unbeliever couldn't do just as well? Think about the kinds of things that are involved in the practice of your Christianity. What among those things can you do better than an unbeliever could do? An unbeliever can teach. An unbeliever can prepare, can gather information, and can speak. An unbeliever can organize. An unbeliever can administrate. An unbeliever can give. What is it you do that cannot be done just as well by somebody that doesn't even know the Lord? And if you give that serious consideration, you will find very few things you do that couldn't be done just as well by an unbeliever. Therefore, it must not be what is done that is of value to God. It must be that what we are is of value to God. Now, James compares the hearer and the doer, or more specifically and more truly, he compares the listener 
and the doer. Do you know the hardest people in the world to deal with are not the pagans? I would rather deal with a pagan, a pure, brazen, unholy, ungodly, unconverted pagan. Any day of the week, I will take a dozen of them compared to one Pharisee. The hardest people in the world to deal with are the listeners. The listeners who always take, who always receive, and what they take in never goes out. And like the Dead Sea, it just becomes a place of death and a place of stench and a place of stagnation. James contrasts the listeners with the doers. Doing can be just habit in the mere performance of action. But James doesn't say do things. He says be an effectual doer of the word. An effectual doer of the word. We grow only by being. And then the illustration he uses relative to the mirror of the word of God. We can know ourselves only as we see ourselves in the light of what God has to say about us. The only way we can ever know ourselves is by seeing ourselves in the light of God's Word. James talks about one who turns away from the truth to go about his business knowing what he is, but then ignoring what he is and going his own way to do his own thing. Our spiritual experiences are never complete without the doing. Now, here is where James and his terminology confuse people, like Martin Luther, the great reformer who said this was an epistle of straw. Experience with the Lord is never complete without the doing. Luther is not saying, or James did not say, as Luther thought, that all you have to do is do the right things and you'll be right with God. Not at all. What James says is that if you're right with God, it will make a difference in the way that you live. Spiritual experiences are never complete without the doing. Spiritual blessings are never complete without the doing. Hearing the Word is not complete without doing the Word. And knowing the truth is not complete without doing the truth. Only as we are and then... As we do what we are, is God honored. If I hear and do not do, James says I am merely a listener, a destructive individual rather than a constructive believer. And not only is a true believer constrained by the love of God and the Word of God. Not only is he a constructive believer who does what he is, a true believer is a controlled believer. A true believer is a controlled believer. James says in verses 26 and 27, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father. 
to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James says an individual may seem to be religious. He may perform what appears to be his duty. He may live within the confines of ethical behavior, but the purity, the purity and the usefulness of our religion depends on our motivation. Why we do what we do and where the motivation comes from. James again is stating that the love God has shown to us will show itself to other people. The love that God has shown to us will show itself to other people. Now James has a great deal to say about the tongue. He mentions it here. And then later in this letter, he really tees off and takes off on the use of the tongue. We would say that when we are angry and we lose control, we say things that we do not mean. James would say the one who cannot control his tongue says exactly what he means. He just was not able to restrain himself. The one who thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue deceives his own heart and his religion is useless or worthless. That is what James says relative to the use of the tongue. Beloved, when it is you or whether it is another person, and I encourage you for sake of self-interest to leave the judging of others to God Almighty, but whenever you find yourself that whenever you open your mouth, bitterness, ugliness, negativeness, and all of that kind of stuff just flows out, that's because that's what you're full of. And you know, it may surprise you, but normally folks are not really interested in what you don't like because there are very few things in this world that are designed solely and specifically to please any one or two of us, and that's the purpose of what they are. You know, there isn't anything in this book, there isn't anything that God has ever told us that indicates that the church ought to please anybody but God. And when God's pleased and you're not, you need to adjust your pleaser to coincide with God's pleaser. The one who doesn't control the tongue deceives only, only himself. And his religion is worthless because a true believer is a controlled believer. A controlled believer. He says, true religion is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Now, the word visit is the word shepherd. It is the same word used in John chapter 21 when the Lord Jesus told the apostle Peter, if you love me, shepherd my sheep. Tend my flock. Shepherd my sheep. It means to look after carefully. And you know, we have become so wooden and so literalistic in our approach to the Bible and we have begun to so worship ink and paper that we take without considering the context of what it means. We think that if we go see people regularly, now when you get there, you may open your mouth and spill out the awfulest mess of negative garbage that anybody ever heard. But we think that if you go see somebody and talk about everybody that doesn't go see them, that that's pure religion. Guess again. 
pure religion and undefiled is this, to shepherd the widows and the orphans in their distress. That is, to look out for their best interests. And it is not in anybody's best interest to hear a bunch of garbage. And I would encourage you, do not think it a compliment when somebody, quote, confides in you. That means they don't consider your ears any better than the garbage can at home they dump the trash in. And I don't know about you, but I've got better things to do than sit around and be a garbage can. Pure religion and undefiled is this, to shepherd the widows and the orphans in their distress. And James addresses this command to all of us, to the whole church. Love shows itself. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, along with George Whitfield and the brother of Wesley named Charles, is reported that during his days leading the Methodist work on the American frontier, as the young preachers would come back from their wilderness assignments and riding their circuits, Wesley always wanted to know two things. He would ask the young men, first of all, did anybody get saved? And secondly, he would ask them, did anybody get mad? And Wesley would then say to the young man, if you've been out preaching all of this time and nobody got saved and nobody got mad, God probably never really called you to the ministry in the first place. I thought of that illustration as I thought of what James here says as he says, let everyone be swift to hear the word of God slow to speak against the Word of God, slow to be angered by the Word of God. Why is that? Because of who a true believer is. A true believer is one who is constrained by the Word of God and the love of Christ. A true believer is one who is constructive and not destructive. A true believer is one who is controlled and directed and dominated and moved along day by day by, by the control of the Holy Spirit of God and by shepherding of people who need it. And the Word of God always leaves us with a question. And the question which so loudly it asks us today, every one of us alike, is this. Are you a true believer? Not a member, not a joiner, not a teacher, not one who functions with responsibility, but by virtue of plucking the fruit and examining your life. Are you a true believer? May we pray. Heavenly Father, deliver us from us and from that desire and compulsion that everything that is must be according to the way we conceive it or we will not be satisfied with it. Father, deliver us from a, an approach to living that focuses on us and our desires and our needs. And Father, by your faithful action in convicting and convincing us of our sins, Draw out of us everything which dishonors you. And Father, may the love of Christ constrain us so that in love we prefer the other better than ourselves. 
May the love of Christ control us so that we shepherd, look carefully after the needs of other people. Father, may we examine ourselves. May we repent and confess all things which dishonor you. Father, we love you because first you loved us, but we love you with a love that is tainted by our human nature and by self-love and by rebellion. Father, forgive us. I claim on behalf of these, your people, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, Father, having shown us what we are, by your grace, as we repent, make us what we ought to be so that the world may see true believers in action through our lives. I pray in Jesus' name.